0: It's morning family. How are we? Good, 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 good. Good to be here with you all this oh shoot, we are packed. We need a building, y'all come to the business meeting, help a brother out. All right, hey, uh, it is good to be with you all this morning. Uh, Man, I am excited to dive into our mission, our vision series, and uh, really look at kind of, man, who are we as a church, you know? Like, as God is doing all these things in and through the well, uh, what makes us us is really what we're looking at in this series. And so, kind of the mission, man, here's where we want to go, here's the direction we're aiming for, here's kind of who we are, and then the vision, where are we going? And that's really what this series is going to cover at large. And so, man, it's just a great time to kind of be on the same page uh, together as a family, as our family is growing, Uh, even for you to go, man, do I want to jump into this family and be a part of a family in this way? And so uh, just to give you a glimpse into some of the stuff that I'm talking about, uh, literally just this this week, kind of finding out some things that are happening at the well. uh, Last Saturday night, I do this often before preaching, I'll pray something and say, man, God, will you just answer uh, a prayer request in this way through the sermon this Sunday. And last week, uh, I feel like the Lord put on my heart to pray uh, that we'd see missionaries that are raised up from our church, uh, even as a result of the sermon last week. And if y'all were here last week, you remember that sermon had absolutely nothing to do with missions, all right? And so uh, I thought that's a weird prayer request, but I feel like God put it on my heart. Cool, let's do it. Uh, Prayed it. And by Thursday, I had four different couples say, man, we're really interested in going overseas. And so isn't that awesome? Like, And so God... God kind of colliding this prayer request with the vision of who we are. We want to send 100 long term. And so God kind of raising that up. Uh, man, we have a first steps class that's going on right now that immediately filled up when we opened it. So we were like, let's open a second one. It probably won't fill up. And then that one immediately filled up as well. And so if you wanted to go to first steps, sorry, it filled up, right? Uh, we had uh, the women's retreat. We mentioned once on Sunday and then it was 110% full uh, by like 10 days later. Uh, we had a covenant community class that we actually never publicly mentioned, and it filled up. And so then we opened up another one in November. So if you want to be a covenant member, uh, you got to jump on that, all right? Um, there's just a lot going on. Man, last month, uh, there were actually seven people that professed faith in Christ just on Sunday mornings, right? And listen, the only way we really know that is if you, like, come talk to us afterwards or if you fill out the Connect page. so I'm assuming that it's actually a lot more than that. And so all of these things that God is doing in the midst of our church kind of culminates to who we want to be. Each of those are a different glimpse as to who we are and what we feel like God has called us to that, I mean, we want to go, right? At the end of this series, you'll hear about the sending aspect or the going aspect of our church. We want to reach the nations. And you saw Juhan up here today that we want to reach this city with the gospel. We want to send and multiply well. I mean, we want to be disciples here. We want to create space that we would have a family here within our, own family, and that there'd be cultivation, and that there'd be uh, this safety and protection and this comfort that comes by being a member of this church. I mean, we want people who do not know Jesus to fall desperately in love with our King Jesus. That's why we exist. And so, like, God is actually moving in these unreal ways in our church right now, y'all. Like, seven people coming to faith just on Sunday mornings is actually a really wild number. And I know there's more in your workplaces or people that may never step foot in the well that you're getting the opportunity. Opportunity to proclaim the love of Jesus to like God is on the move y'all. And so I'm excited to kind of dive into the series and kind of look at, okay, who are we? And then where are we going as a people at large? And so that's what we're going to do today. We're actually beginning our exalt portion in our kind of overall mission statement, exalt, disciple, send, right? There's actually a longer mission statement at large, but the really easy one for us to remember, okay, is exalt, disciple, send. Just out of curiosity, does anybody think they know the full mission statement by a show of hand? Oh, two people, three people. All right, so there we go. So we're not going to make you memorize it, but we do want you to know, man, this is what we believe why we exist as a church. And so underneath each of these, exalt, disciples, sin, we have these things that we call core convictions. They're core to who we are. We are convicted of that. We will never change this as a church. And so today we talk about our first core conviction, which is we are Christ-centered as a church. We are a Christ-centered church. In fact, what we say here, uh, distinctive of that, is we say everything uh, centers around the person and work of Jesus. That that's what we actually want you to remember even as we walk out of here. And the reason that this is a distinctive in a way is that when we say everything centers around the person and work of Jesus, we mean everything, okay, that all things are centering around this person and work of Christ, that the scriptures are pointing to or pointing back every type or figure or uh, image in the Old Testament is trying to catapult us toward Jesus. We believe that that is true in our marriages or in our lives. We believe that that's why we exist on a Sunday morning. That's why we exist Monday through Saturday as a people of God, that we would be Christ-centered in every single aspect of who we are and of what we we do. This is a distinction for us that many people will say, hey, we want to proclaim Jesus. And look, we do too. But often where that stops is we kind of proclaim this Jesus that can bring us into salvation. But then we stop there and we kind of stop proclaiming Jesus and start proclaiming the law. That's not who we are as a church. We will preach Jesus at the beginning and the middle and exalt him one day forever at the end. And so we are a Christ-centered church. Everything centers around the person and work of Jesus. That's where we're going today, even In this sermon, and we'll see why that matters, all right? So, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in John chapter 5 today. We'll jump around just a tiny bit, but we'll camp out there most of the morning. John 5, if you need Bibles, the ushers are going to come forward. Uh, if you would just raise your hand, and they would love to give you a Bible. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, I'd encourage you, hey, raise your hand right now, and take and keep that. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the Word, to be able to use it during the week. If you want a nicer Bible, there's a lost and found. Just go find somebody, all right? All right. <laughs> Hey, my first Bible I had, I stole. Ain't that crazy? I really did. That's so wild when I think about it, all right? Uh, But hey, get a Bible. We want you to have a Bible. Just don't steal it, all right? But if it's been in lost and found for three weeks, that person don't care. Take that Bible, all right? You can also follow along on your phone. You can go to the YouVersion app or type in the will Austin there. There's a link you can follow. Uh, We want your eyes on the word, okay? As we are Christ-centered, as I just said, we believe that this book in its entirety points us to the person of Jesus. Jesus. We'll actually see why we believe that even this morning. So we want your eyes on the word so that we can kind of fix our eyes on Christ, our King. Okay. A couple of important things that are happening in John 5 to kind of catch us up and pick us up where we're going to be this morning. This chapter begins by Jesus uh, healing a guy on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they don't really like this because they're more concerned with keeping man-made laws than they are with the intention of God-made laws. And so really, uh, these God-made laws bring freedom or liberty or justice or aid or deliverance from sin and just overall help. And the Pharisees are more concerned with these kind of man-made laws baked into these God-made decrees. By the way, that's for somebody this morning okay? That so often we can be more concerned with the laws that we create than the laws that God created or the intention behind those laws. And so Jesus here is fully submitted to the law. He's healing somebody on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so he's interacting within that. He brings somebody to healing, ultimately brings them to faith, and they don't really like this. And so then Jesus is like, hey, what's y'all's beef here, right? And then in verse 18, he actually then goes and he calls himself equal with God. All right. So then he kind of ups the ante a little bit. So not only is he in their eyes breaking the law, he's now saying that he's God. So Jesus is kind of on boss mode right now. All right. He's like, yeah, and okay that 's kind of his how, how I see Jesus interacting in this moment, and so from nineteen to twenty nine verses nineteen to twenty nine he essentially ups the claim that he is indeed God, and in fact in seven different ways he proclaims how he 's equal with God. now that number seven is important in the Hebrew culture because it 's a number of completion so what he 's saying is stating seven facts is he's saying i 'm completely like God in every aspect of the way, but he gives seven different uh, ways how and It'll be on the screen as well. But he says, he's equal with God in his works, And the verses are next to it is what those numbers are. He's equal with God in his knowledge. He's equal with God in his resurrecting power, in his judgment, in his honor, in his regenerating ability, and in his self-existence. Now, there are more ways throughout Scripture, but Jesus is kind of pointing out here that he is indeed equal with God. And the reason that this is important is that the main and primary objective of every single church should be to glorify God. In fact, Isaiah chapter 43 verse seven says that this is the reason that man was created. We were created to bring glory to God. He is the only one that is actually worthy of glory and family of God. We find our utmost joy when we are bringing glory to our God. And so this is why we exist. When we uh, don't think about, hey, what's in this for me, but rather, man, how can I please God? That's where joy comes. When we begin to think, even as we step into this, this Sunday gathering or into our homes, when we start thinking, man, what can I give to him versus what can I get out of this? Our whole lives change. In fact, maybe that's why church is dry or dead for a lot of us is we're thinking, how can I? How can this serve me rather than how can I serve him? But as we serve him, what happens is we begin to find our joy in him because this was the very reason why you were created to serve, to bring glory, to bring honor to God. And so as you're stepping in why you were created, you will feel this uh, literal igniting of your heart and of your soul because you're beginning to operate the way that you were hardwired to operate When you bring glory to God, you bringing glory to God is your joy, family. And so this is important because Jesus is saying he is equal with God. And in fact, God the Father would tell us as a church to exalt his son. And so as we are exalting Jesus, we are doing the very thing we were created to do, which is glorifying God. You following that? And so this is why we exist. This is where we even find our ultimate calling in life. We find ourselves most fully when we say, what can I give instead of what can I gain? It is better to give than to receive. And so as we give ourselves away, we begin to be ignited in this faith in a sense. In fact, if you end up at a different church other than the well one day because you move or maybe you find out, man, this just ain't for me, or maybe you came in and you ain't find no seat and you're like, I gotta go to church with a seating. All right, we get it. Okay. Go to Joshua's church plan. All right. And listen, if you go, all right. And if you say, hey, listen, uh, man, this church is awesome. But if you begin to sense that the church is kind of in it for themselves or even even if they're in it for a noble cause, like the community that they're serving, that is not a high enough cause, friends, that the community will actually be most blessed when that church exists to glorify God for the glory of God is that community's good. And as God gets glorified, then naturally we begin to serve more sacrificially and more readily. And so literally we exist not for ourselves or to build anything or even to do anything. Primarily we exist For the glory of God, primarily as a people of God. This is important, right? We have to understand this. And as we walk in this, then we get ignited to do what we've been called to do. And so, if Jesus is indeed God, which he's saying he is, then as we exalt Jesus, we were doing the very things we're being created to do. In fact, the Westminster Catechism, which is a document that's written essentially to kind of help us answer both simple and difficult questions in the Christian faith. It's a way for us to kind of be unified in what we believe. The very first question on it is, what is the chief end of man? In other words, like, like why does man exist? Why are we here? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to know God and glorify him forever. John 17, 3 says, to know God is to know Jesus, and to know Jesus is eternal life. And so it is to know Jesus and to glorify him forever. And the Father tells us to exalt the Son. And so you find your life as you find your face fixated on Jesus, friends. Are you finding life right now? Do you feel alive and if that answer is no, in whatever area it may be in your life, in your marriage, in your finances, in your church, in your job, whatever it might be, it might be because your face is fixated on yourself rather than fixated on Jesus. But as you fix your face on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, life himself, he said, I'm the way the truth, the life As you fixate your eyes on Jesus, you start to find this life. So Jesus, though, he's making these claims that he's God, but he can't actually make these claims that he's God without kind of backing them up, right? Like, imagine in the first century how absurd it would be to hear. I mean, shoot, imagine it even today, right? Like, if I walked up in here today, and if I were like, hey, I just want you to know that I'm equal with God in my self-existent nature, like, I don't need anybody to help me breathe. God doesn't sustain my breath. In fact, I've always existed. I, I just, I, I exist in and of myself. I'm also with equal with God in knowledge. Like, I, actually, I, I, Tori, know everything, right? Like, and you know what? I'm also equal with God in honor. And so if you worship me, it's cool because you're kind of worshiping God, right? Like, imagine if I were to say that. Like, real talk, I kind of feel like I might die right now by just giving that as an analogy, right? Like, that's kind of scary to say, okay? Right? Like, how absurd would that be, okay? So Jesus is coming, saying some really crazy things, and I just mentioned three, and y'all got uncomfortable. He added a whole other four of them on top of that. And so what he's saying are these powerful things, but in Jewish law, in Deuteronomy 18, you have to have at least two witnesses to any truth claim, and he's talking to Jews here. So he's actually going to honor this law and say, let me back up this truth so that you can know that I'm not just making this stuff up by myself. And so that's where we pick up today. John chapter five, beginning in verse 31, he says this, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true, right? There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John and he is born witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you might be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So he's like, hey, y'all like John the Baptist, right? You was filling him, okay? That's what Jesus is saying here. Well, well, John the Baptist said, hey, uh, this is God. In fact, he not only knew he was God, he knew the reason why Jesus came. This is the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world is what John proclaimed about Jesus. In fact, Jesus actually calls John the greatest man ever to be born of woman. In other words, the greatest person ever to have a natural birth, okay? This is John. So there are three people who were not naturally born, Adam, Eve, and Jesus, all right? So he's saying, hey, out of all the rest of humanity, up to this point. John is the greatest one of them that's been born. So John is placing number two behind Jesus. Like that's a pretty high commendation, right? He's like, man, this guy's pretty dope. And you know what? This dude actually said that I was God. And so this is Jesus's first point that man, John the Baptist is proclaiming that Jesus is God. He keeps going though, verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. Listen, the the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have not heard, and His form you have not seen. And you do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom He has sent." There's so much truth we could unpack today there. But listen, he says, my own works prove that I'm God. Only God can do some of these things that I'm doing. And you religious leaders, you know that. The Old Testament says that, man, only God can resurrect from the dead. And I'm sitting here doing that. Only God can open the eyes of the blind. And and I'm doing that. And Jesus' own works are proclaiming, hey, this guy is not a normal guy. There's something else about him. And you know this, he's saying. In fact, not only is John the Baptist, and my works proving this, God the Father Himself is saying that. Like, remember, at my baptism, the heavens opened, and the dove descended, and the Father said, "This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased." He's pleased with Christ before Christ does any work. Why? Because He already knows who He is. His identity is that of God, and so God Himself is proclaiming that Jesus is God. So, you have the greatest man to ever live. You have the works of Jesus, and you have God. God the Father proclaiming that he is indeed God, but Jesus keeps going as if that's not enough in and of itself. He says in verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So we're going to come back and camp on these verses in a second, but the scriptures are saying that Jesus is God, is the next one. All the prophecies fulfilled, all of the types and figures that point to him, the whole scripture is trying to turn our eyes to Jesus and it's saying, look, Jesus is our Messiah. Jesus is our savior. He is our brother. He is our friend. He is our advocate. And you know what? He is God. Jesus is fully God and fully man and all the scriptures are lining up. Like, man, just these four, once again, they're more than enough. In fact, my uh, argument would be, man, if, if you don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is, why do you not believe that? Like, have you ever checked the claims that Jesus made about himself? Have you ever started looking through some of these things because Jesus thought he was God? Jesus believed that man, he was God and sent from God by God to do God's plan. And so even as you're wrestling with this Christian faith, look, either this man was a maniac Right? Like when you heard me just give the examples that I just gave, you were like, dang, this dude is either like pretty bold, thinking he ain't going to die, right? Or something. Like if I were to start saying these things, you would never come to this church. And if I ever said that, please don't come to this church, y'all. All All right? Like, listen, Jesus is saying wild things. Either he is a maniac lunatic or he is indeed God. There's no other option here, y'all. You either believe in him or you say, I reject everything he says because there's something really twisted about this guy. And so Jesus is believing that he's God and he's proving it over and over and over again. But even if these things aren't enough, he keeps going. Verse 41, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. In other words, you can't really understand this is what he's saying. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you're going to receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So, once again, there's a lot here we could unpack, but Jesus is saying, hey, Moses also thinks I'm God. Like Moses agrees with all of this testimony. In fact, the whole entire Old Testament is pointing us to something that, if you understood as Jewish people, the Old Testament, you would be like, "Dang, th- this, this is who that guy was talking about, right? Like this is Jesus Himself." And so, I don't have two witnesses, is what Jesus is. I have five, and really, I could keep going. Is kind of the the the, the vibe that Jesus is giving here. So, Jesus is God, and Jesus's command to the church is to make much of. Jesus Jesus. And so we exist as a church to do just that because God is worthy. He is the only one that is worthy of glory and honor. He is the only one that can resurrect our souls. Even if he did absolutely no work on our behalf, he is still worthy because of who he is. And so we exist as a church. We want to make much of Jesus in this world because in exalting Christ, we are exalting God and we are doing the very things that we were created by God himself to do. And so we want to do that in this city and in this church and in our heart. Listen, in this place, in our communion, there's a reason we do that every week. In our worship songs, in our communities, in our homes, in our marriages, in our finances, in every aspect of our life, we want to exalt Jesus as the people of God. Amen? This is why we exist, because we believe everything centers around the person and work of Jesus. We are Christ-centered as a people, because we believe that everything centers around the person and work of Jesus. When this is actually the center, then everything else begins to make sense. Now, here's what I want to do, okay? I want to turn our attention real quick to some of the, pro, uh, the things that Jesus said. In verse 39 and 40 and 46, he made some pretty astounding claims, He said, listen, if you're in the Bible, you're trying to find life. Don't you realize that the Bible is actually trying to point you to me? Like Moses was writing about me. And so this book, family, is not a book about how to have a good life, okay? This is not a book about morality. This is a book that's about Jesus. And as we look into it, it should turn our eyes onto Jesus. You tracking with that? This is an important truth here. There's a ton of other verses that say it. Like Luke twenty four twenty seven. after Jesus resurrects, he's walking with the disciples and it says that he proclaims to them everything that was written about him, beginning with Moses and the prophets. In other words, the whole Old Testament. And he's saying, look, all of this is about me. So we do not preach this book to give some moral law. We preach this book so that we can worship our creator as we have been designed by our creator to do. This is why we are in this book. This is why we even love this book, not because of this book in and of itself, but rather who this book is trying to turn our eyes to. And so Jesus is telling the Pharisees, listen, if you knew God, like if you know God or admire God or trust God or are shaped by God, then when he truly reveals himself in his ways, when I step up on the scene, you would automatically know me. That's what Jesus tells them. You would automatically know me because the whole time this has been proclaiming who I am. It would have so shaped your heart and so shaped your mind that it would have been impossible for you to miss the reality of who I am. In fact, you cannot say that you know God and not fall desperately in love with Jesus because Jesus is the example that God gave for us to understand him and to love him. And so that's why you can't be spiritual apart from Christ, because he is the spirit of the living God. Now, you can have negative spiritual impact and influence, but it is impossible to be spiritual apart from Christ. Because if you are spiritual, then the spirit will point you to Jesus himself. You cannot say you know God without knowing Christ. That's the claim he's making. That's an unbelievable claim, y'all right? But he's proving it over and over and over again. And so we want to be a people that are filled with the spirit and that walk in the spirit. And the way we do that is we align ourselves underneath the person of Jesus and we fix our eyes on him, family. This is why we exist as a church. This is why you exist as an individual. As you begin to see this and as you begin to walk in this, man, your life comes alive. In fact, I'm convinced that this is why the Bible is so dry for so many of us so often, because we read this as a moral checkoff, right? Like we say, hey, I'm a good Christian, so I need to read my Bible. And so we just do it kind of like the Pharisees were doing it, which, listen, I'm guilty of that all the time. I literally did that last night. I was like, man, I didn't read today. Let me go ahead and hurry up and read right? Look at, that's not the reason why we do this, y'all, right? This is meant to point us to Jesus. So I'm not knocking any of us, but if your life is dry in the word, maybe it's because you're coming to the word, thinking that coming to it, you have life, not realizing that the word is trying to point you to life, Jesus, because he's the way, the truth, and the life. And so literally everything we do is meant to fix our eyes or fix our gaze on Jesus. Y'all tracking with that? Yeah, And so we need to continue to walk in that as a church. We need to continue to make much of Jesus. This book is trying to point us to the person and work of Jesus. Not only this book, though, that we preach and we love and we submit to in our community groups are surrounded around the word because it's surrounded around the person of Christ. But listen, can I just like overwhelm y'all with a couple more scriptures about how central Christ is and everything? Y'all cool with that? Some people were real hyped. Some people were like, come on, dog. All right. I ain't hating on either. Okay, here we go. Beginning in Colossians 1, verse 15, you'll have to turn here, it'll be on the screen. In fact, I want you to just listen to it if you can. It says this, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. I think that Colossians 1 is trying to proclaim something to us, don't you? All things, everything, over and over. Romans chapter 11, verse 36, it says, For uh, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever, amen. All things, it says, right? In him and through him and for him and to him. It's trying to fix our eyes on Jesus. In fact, in Revelation chapter 4, beginning in uh, verse uh, uh, 11 here, it says this. It says... Worthy are you, our Lord and God. This is, they're talking to Jesus, the Lamb of God is who they're talking to. Worthy are you, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you, Jesus, created all things, and by your will, they existed and were created. You fast forward to Revelation chapter 7, verse 12. After this, uh, many tribes and all different people and cultures come together, and so there's this diverse, beautiful aspect of heaven that we're seeing our future and true home one day, and then this is what we say. We don't marvel at our diversity. We don't marvel at all the nations. We don't marvel at any of these other things. we marvel at is jesus christ in verse 11 or verse 12 it says uh, amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our god forever and ever amen all things exist because of and for jesus we are a christ-centered people we believe that everything centers around the person and work of jesus family of god amen. this is true in heaven This is true on earth. This was true from the beginning of creation. We are a Christ-centered people naturally. And when we misalign with that, that's when we find our trouble in life. But as we align with Christ, then he literally gives us the joy that we were created to have because you were created to align directly under King Jesus. And as you align under him, you find your joy in him not under your job not under your ethnicity not under what church you go to not under your party political party that's like the worst place to do it right like not under your money not under your talents not under your marriage not under your parenting as you align yourself under king jesus this is where you find joy family but we misalign all the time don't we i do right i miss a line all the time i can't tell you how often i am far more concerned with what's happening to this church versus what's happening in the kingdom of god or god himself thank you brother Save me from embarrassment, right? Thank you, right? Like I I misalign all the time, y'all. It's so natural for us to do. And so I think we do this all the time. But listen, we need him. Every good vision that we have starts with Jesus. Acts 17 says, in Jesus, we live and move and have our being. In fact, John chapter 15 says, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And so we could be trying to kill it as a church, y'all. But apart from Jesus, guess how much we do? Zero, nothing, right? There's no trick in the Greek word there. Nothing means nothing. We can't do anything apart from Jesus Christ because he is worthy of all glory and all dominion and all power and all honor and all wisdom and all might forever and ever, amen? Like this is what it says. This is who we exist to be. In fact, Revelation chapter two, uh, beginning in verse two through five, I want you to read this because this is the account of one of the early churches that was just killing it. The church of Ephesus And it says this, this is Jesus talking. He says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. There are seven things here. He's saying, look, y'all are killing it all around, right? But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. This is Jesus. You've lost your first love, me. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. What are the works God requires us to do? It's just faith and love, y'all. Do we believe in Jesus? Do we love Jesus? That's what he calls us to. Repent. Go back to the works you did at first. If not, I will come and I'll remove your lampstand from his place unless you repent. Jesus is saying, look, I don't really care that you're killing it as a church. I don't need you. Like, I will snuff out this church. I know you've been killing it, but I so desperately want your love for me because I am for you, is what he's saying here. I want your joy. I want your good. You could be doing 7,000 awesome things for me, but if you do not love me, then you're missing the whole point. And so this is why we start as a church, not with where we're going, but with who we are. We are a Christ-centered people because if we miss that point, everything else means nothing, y'all. We could be doing 10,000 good things and planting churches and helping the community and sending missionaries overseas and just killing it. But if we miss this as a point, we are doing it all in vain, y'all. This is what we exist for is to glorify God. We are Christ-centered in our very existence. Listen, maybe this is even why you feel this sense of uh, discouragement or or distraught or a lack of vision even in your own home. Because maybe it's your home or your own soul that's not Christ-centered. Centered. every time i personally misalign i begin to get all twisted and i'm building my, uh, my 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 house on something that is not solid ground But when you build your house on solid ground on Jesus Christ, then no matter what comes at you, it will not shake it or rock it by any means because you're building it on the foundation that actually lasts, which is Jesus. We are a Jesus people, y'all. This is who we are as a people of God. And so this is why we start here, because everything centers around the person and work of Jesus, family. Listen, we, uh, there, there's a great analogy. Um, it's an airplane analogy, and I heard it one time. I don't know jack about airplanes, so I ain't going to front like I know what I'm talking about. I read this somewhere, okay? And a pilot was saying that, hey, if you're just one degree off when you're flying the airplane, so if you're trying to go from LAX to New York, and let's say you got to fly at whatever, 33 degrees, right, the whole time, and you're just one off, you, you go 32 instead. For every one mile that you, or for every 60 miles you go, you end up one mile off course. And so from uh, LA to New York, what happens is you end up kind of like in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Like you're nowhere near your target. And so this is why we start this with being Christ-centered because we do not want to be one degree off as a church, y'all. Listen, if we are one degree off and if that's kind of where we end up as a people, then this could be the difference of us truly impacting the world for the glory of God and us impacting the world for the glory of ourselves. That's what one degree off does. And so we want to be totally submitted to the person of God. We need to be laser sharp in our focus that it is Christ and Christ alone. And in your own home, listen, if you're not laser sharp focused with Jesus being at the center, the reason why your marriage exists or the reason why you parent the way you do or the reason why you spend your money the way you do or the reason why you enjoy laughter or food or coffee or whatever it may be, if you are not laser sharp in focus, you end up one, two, or maybe even 30 degrees off and you're nowhere where you wanna be in the long run. We have to be laser sharp as a people individually and collectively as a church. Christ is our target. His exaltation is our goal. This is why we exist. Listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says, the love of Christ compels us. In other words, when we love Jesus, that's what compels us to good works. So we don't look at the good works and go, let's go do good works, right? That's not what we do. We look at the love of Jesus and say, man, let's be desperately in love with Jesus. And then as we love Jesus, this catapults us to good works. We want to be a Christ-centered people. And so every vision, no matter how dynamic or awesome it is, it means nothing if we do not love Jesus. And so if we stop loving Jesus, then rebuke me and the elders and the whole other team because we need to be a Christ-centered church family. And listen, when you yourself stop loving Jesus, which will happen, by the way, in about an hour, right, all of us, we struggle with this, then rebuke yourself and go, no, no, focus on Christ again, because all good work begins here, every vision begins here, every mission ends here, it is Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, (laughs) Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, amen? Like, that's why we exist, y'all. And proclaim that in your own heart and in yourself. Listen, this is why, I don't know if you realize, even our worship set is uh, 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 put together the way that it is to actually show the ark of Christ. And so we start with this creation, we end up in fall, and then we talk about our redemption, and then we celebrate God. That's why sometimes like we confess sin at the end of song two, and then at the, or at the end of song one, then at the end of song two, we say, not nah, hear this, this assurance from God, and then literally afterwards, we usually celebrate. We sing a celebratory song. We are trying to be a gospel-centered people, even in the way we form our worship, y'all. That's true in our communion. That's true in our community groups. That's true in our giving. That's why every time we say, "Look, giving is worship." We ain't trying to kind of muster something out of you. God owns the the, the cattle on a thousand hills. He can give us whatever we want. What he's trying to do is form our hearts to be like Him, so that when we give sacrificially, we imitate Jesus, and as we do. That, that, our eyes are fixed on Jesus and we become more like disciples of Christ. And so everything that we do, but this is true in your own home. This is true in the scriptures. All scriptures point to Jesus. When you're reading Leviticus, it should remind you of the sacrifice of Christ. When you're reading Job, you should realize, you know what? Job was an innocent sufferer that got blessing in the end. Well, Jesus is the actual innocent sufferer who all his friends, the disciples were giving him real stupid advice, right? And he rejected it, but was actually faithful with God to the end and then got a uh, quadruple back what he received from the beginning. When you're reading about Esther, when you're reading about uh, Genesis, when you're reading about Abraham, listen, he's actually the father of all nations. He's the real Isaac that actually was killed on that altar so that you may have life. He's the real Jacob. He's the real Joseph and on and on and on and on it goes. The scriptures should point you to Jesus. Your lives should point you to Jesus. All things are Christ-centered, y'all. In fact, even our own mission statement should point us to to Christ. You see, we say we want to exalt Jesus why? Why do we say that family? Well, listen, he's worthy of it. He's literally worthy of it. Jesus came down and lived a perfect life. And out of all humanity, whoever should have asked for glory from people, it should have been Jesus. Cause he's the only one that's worthy to make that claim without being arrogant in the process. He's worthy of everything. And yet Jesus came and was not exalted, but he actually laid his life down as Juhan was saying in the, in the giving, as we just sang about the man of sorrows, right? Jesus, though, should have been highly esteemed and exalted. He became humbled to the point of death, even death on the cross. The scriptures say that we looked at Jesus and we esteemed him not. We did not exalt him. We did not think anything of him. We spit on him. We ourselves, our own sin, we crucified Jesus. The one person that should have been exalted, he became humbled. Why? Because that should have been us, family. We should have been separated from God forever. We do not deserve exaltation. But now if we believe in Jesus, what literally happens is he lifts us up off the dirt and he will exalt us one day. Revelation says we will be on the throne with God, together with God forever. We who deserve no exaltation at all. We get exalted if we believe in Jesus. Why? Because the exalted one became humble so that the humble ones may be exalted. Even our own mission statement points us to Christ. We are a Christ-centered people, y'all. And as we believe in this, man, it revolutionizes everything, 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 everything. And so listen, the application is real simple here, right? Where, where do you not believe this in your own life, in your marriage, In your finances, in your, man, if I just get a husband, then I'll be whole, heart, right? In your, man, if I just get this promotion, then I will finally be satisfied, heart. Like, where is this at for you? Look, it's all over the place, okay? Like, I just told you, I was dealing with this yesterday, right? I was probably dealing with it this morning, y'all, right? Like, like it is so easy to miss, but as we realize that and then we realign under Jesus and say, no, 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 emotions. No, 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 my future career. No, 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 my money, whether I have a lot or I'm broke and I'm like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life, right? No matter where we're at on this, as we align that under Christ, as we focus on him, listen, this is what you were created to do. I promise you will begin to find life, in fact, if you're feeling like your life is empty, maybe it's because you've never made that first confession to align yourself under God salvifically. Maybe you don't believe in Jesus. Maybe this is why there's a, an emptiness or a brokenness feeling or a longing feeling to say, man, I know that I need more. I just don't know what it is. Listen, life is found when it is aligned underneath our King Jesus family. You're feeling empty because you're not living the way you were created underneath the exaltation of Christ. And as we surrender our lives to Jesus, and as we say, God, you know what? I give my life to you. I surrender my life to you. And as that becomes our heart, man, we find life. And then listen, y'all, then we just do that over and over and over and over and over and over again until we get to eternity. And so we become a people that need to remind each other of our original confession that Jesus is everything. And then we do that through our singing, through our worship, through our fellowship, through our community, in every aspect of our lives. As we do that, I promise we find life, y'all. Listen, the vision we're going to talk about in a few weeks and where we're going, I'm super excited about. But it literally means nothing if it's not surrendered under the person of Christ. Amen. Man, we are a Christ-centered people. We believe that everything centers around the person and work of Jesus. Would that be true in our homes? Would that be true in this church forever? Amen. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, I thank you. God, I I pray that you would show us as a people where we are lacking in vision... God, where where you are not the center of our lives, I pray you would reveal that to us. Help us to see clearly, God. Help us to understand where we are putting other things as a center, thinking that they will satisfy. Would you grace us with that, Spirit of God, even right now? Would you give us that grace? Show us where we're not thinking about you, God. Help us to get a picture of you. And then... In that picture, would you clarify our vision as we fix our eyes on you, our King Jesus? Would you give us the vision for our own personal lives, not even for this church, just for us? Would you show us why we're single, or why our marriage is struggling, or why our kids are the way they are, or why we work at this place, or why we live in this city, or whatever it may be? Would you begin to clarify vision as we fix our eyes on you, King Jesus? God, I pray right now for those who do not know you as king, who has never made a confession of faith, who has never said, I want to follow you. friend." your life will begin to be filled as you surrender under Jesus. And one day it will be eternally filled because Jesus is the only thing that gives us that life. So even right now, you can say, you know what? I don't even I don't even understand all this. I don't know all this, but I want to walk into relationship with you. I want to know you, Jesus. I, I give my life to you. I want you to be center. Listen, as that becomes your prayer, he welcomes you into the family. He cleanses you of all past doing. He gives you vision and purpose and he will begin to walk with you until one day we meet him face to face. That can be your prayer today for those of us who have made that our prayer, look, would we pray that again and again and again? Knowing that yes, we are saved forever. We can't lose this salvation, but man, we sure walk like it. And that as we realign ourselves with God, that we are filled with God, we see him more clearly. Would that be true of us as a people? That every single Sunday, every Monday, every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we fix our eyes on Jesus. God, help us where we miss. Help us to walk in you. We pray these things in your very beautiful name. Amen.